Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. With Tyler Courtney's recent move to the winged sprint car ranks, there's been a lot of talk about drivers migrating away from the non-wing side. One driver who has bucked that trend though is Paul Neenheiser. The 2019 MOA Sprint Car Champion started driving winged 410s when he was 15 and has been nearly exclusively a winged guy in the years since. That was until very recently. Paul is currently in his rookie season with the USAC National Sprint Car Series driving for KO Motorsports as a teammate to Chase Stockton. He currently sits 10th in the USAC National Points and is coming off an up and down weekend in Pennsylvania. He joins me on this episode to talk about his transition and getting the opportunity, gaining experience out on the national tour, why he made the move, where we will see him again in a winged car, and a lot more. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Paul Neenheiser. Paul, we're at a point where everyone is talking about non-winged guys transitioning to winged racing. Obviously, the main example of that this season being Tyler Courtney. But all of a sudden, we have you out here who's been a winged competitor now going non-wing racing. So walk me through the decision process to go kind of be a full-time non-wing guy. Um, honestly, there wasn't really a big decision to it. Um, you know, I've actually, believe it or not, I think this is going on 10 years running 410 wing cars. And just maybe, I wouldn't say I really, I just never really had an opportunity, I guess, would be the best way to describe it and I've just kind of dabbled my feet the last maybe two seasons um you know running a probably like three literally like three or four races just to maybe open a door and got the opportunity to race with KO Motorsports uh Kokomo last October for the wing and non-wing doubleheader and you know they were I guess transitioning to a two-car USAC team and the way everyone gelled and it just kind of went from there about a week after Kokomo you know they asked me if I wanted to be their guy so um they're uh they're a first class operation and have a lot of great equipment and put in all the hard work. So for me, it's basically only driven for myself for a number of years now. Um, it's pretty humbling to be in a position to drive for these guys. I feel like the first opportunity or the first time I heard about you running a non-wing car was that MOA war weekend last year in September, where you, you won the MOA show and then finished second in the war race. How much non-wing racing had you done? I know you just said you've done a couple a year, but like, is this something you've been doing for a long time? Like, I mean, where were yeah. you kind of sneaking these in? No, uh, I think it's been, so if you're talking last year, so I think two years prior now, I ran a non-wing 410 race at Jacksonville, like on a Sunday afternoon or something. First time ever is literally a wing car without wings. I didn't know enough about it. Um, and I ran third. Uh, and then I was going to run the Hockett that fall. Uh, wing and non-wing 360 410 non-wing and had a problem with the car or something so I didn't even really end up running non-wing that night um, so then the following year you're talking Granite City there uh, the MOA war race was I guess maybe my second non-wing race and then we ended up breaking a fuel pump later that year at Lake of the Ozarks for their like non-wing national thing and uh, I think it was like Labor Day 4th of July weekend and we were leading that so I mean I had a pretty good couple three starts and then I went and ran for the KO Motorsports guys like I said in October and here we are. I've ran already more races this year than I have in my career non-wing. <laughs> what, uh, what drew you to, to non-wing racing? You know, was it just the challenge of it? Was it just that, it, you know, something different? Like, why did you want to go do that? It, yeah, just something different. Like I said, I mean, I'm not an old guy. I'm 24, but I've been doing wing 410 stuff for 10 years. And it was a new challenge, um, something kind of like uncharted territory for me. So um, I, I don't know. I, I've enjoyed, I've run the chili bowl a handful of times with some pretty good car owners too. And it just seemed to be something that um, I think wing racing could maybe help guys in a way 
Um, it's a different discipline, the way you race and the momentum and how you slide job and make passes is like altogether different for me. Um, but I think the speeds of wing racing helps me. Um, so I just kind of always enjoyed it. And um, just here or there, I kind of started looking for spots where maybe if I could take my backup car without wings, you know, I could run a non-wing race. And um, that's that's pretty much it. I didn't really have a reason. Obviously, wing racing pays a little bit better, especially now. Um, but like I said, just a humbling opportunity and one I felt like at this stage in my career, um, without really having a, a ride or running a team, you know, running for a team like this, I felt like it was kind of now or never. I feel like we've heard from a lot of guys that the wing car versus the non-wing car, it's like a completely different style of driving. And, and, you know, there's maybe not a lot that goes back and forth. How long did it take you to get comfortable, you know, once you kind of jump in and start running some non-wing races? Yeah. Um, not too long, really. Um, I think part of that's due to a little bit of midget experience before that. Um, I think midgets are probably honestly more like wing cars than non-wing sprint cars are. Um, but not too long. And we went down to Florida this February for my first, you know, like real non-wing season. I was in a true non-wing car that these guys, Flea Ruzik builds these things. Um, so we did a little bit of testing there. I probably made a hundred laps before we actually qualified Thursday night in Florida back in February. Um, and, and honestly, by the end of that, I was pretty comfortable. I mean, I've run enough laps and raced enough that I can kind of pick up on things maybe quicker than if I was a 15, 16 year old kid coming into this like 10 years ago when I got into wing cars. You, you know, you joined KO Motorsports and, and they have a driver in Chase Stockton who's obviously had a ton of success in, in non-wing stuff. How much have you been able to kind of rely on him for, for information and, and advice and things like that have you, as you've gotten started here? He's probably uh, a little tired of me sometimes when we get to the racetrack. I, I asked him, you know, the USAC schedule for me, I traveled a little bit wing racing, but more or less Indiana is all non-wing racing, which is a lot of the USAC schedule. Um, so most of these tracks I haven't been to. Um, so when we get there, I mean, I'll watch a little bit of video and see how they raced maybe the year or two prior um, and just kind of start asking Chase, like what, you know, he's been doing in the past. He's been on the tour, right? He's the Ironman. So he's been more starts than anybody. Um, and and I just kind of ask him, you know, maybe how things race, how things are early. Um, and for me, I'm getting more comfortable in the car and kind of when I come to a new racetrack, I can kind of gauge how hard I can drive the thing and um, maybe when I bounce an idea off of him before I get in it, it just gives me that little bit of reassurance. You've had a ton of success with different series, Sprint Invaders and MOA. You've run outlaw shows. Where does the USAC national sprint car series, like in terms of competition rate amongst those other ones, I mean, against the world of outlaws or the all-stars, you know, I feel like when you kind of look at the names at the top of the sprint cars and you start talking about Justin Grant and Brady Bacon and CJ Leary and, and Kevin Thomas, and all these guys, you have this really solid kind of nucleus of guys. And I'm wondering if that competition level is, is high with USAC as it is with some of the other series you've raced with. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's tough. I mean, those guys you just mentioned, they're all ones to beat. And as a guy that would just check Twitter and stuff the following day and see recaps and results of USAC, any kind of non-wing racing. I mean, these are names that you'd see winning all the time. So guys like automatically come in respecting a lot and their ability and, and they're all in good equipment. So, you know, I think like with any traveling series, you've got nine or 10 really solid cars that go everywhere. And honestly, the, it surprised me this year, the USAC the first four or five races, I think we were at like 40 cars every single night. So again, uh, everyone really anywhere has really good equipment and whether you're in Indiana, Florida, guys have little, you know, tracks can be kind of their like home track and they've got a lot of success at, um, just, just kind of like with me at Jacksonville, for example, you know, you got guys that just trickle in that maybe only race there, but they could be really tough to beat. So I think that, um, you know, it's maybe been a little bit surprising, uh, for me as, as stout as it has been, 
But um, I think we've also, as a team, exceeded our expectations a little bit too. You caught my attention at Lawrenceburg here not long ago. You you ran top five and ended up seventh, and and you know your suspension was broken the front end. I think it was bouncing around all over the place. But as you kind of look over this early part of the season, you know, how would you kind of rate how it's gone for you so far? Obviously, you've had some good runs. You struggled a little bit in Pennsylvania over the weekend, but yeah. then rebounded, you know, later in the weekend. So where would you kind of rate things? Uh, you know, it's tough to say. I don't want to give us too good of a grade, but I don't think we've done bad either. Um, I would say somewhere in the B range. Um, I, I really, truthfully, I, I have a lot of confidence in myself, but coming into this year, like I said, with a handful of non-wing starts, I just knew it was going to be really tough. Um, going just straight to the national tour. So when we had made every show until this past Friday night, when we wrecked out and just couldn't um, with 40 plus cars a night, I think said a lot about us. And like you said, we, we ran really well, like Lawrenceburg, I'd never been there in a wing car either. So um, we've exceeded expectations, uh, had just little things here and there that we don't have results to show, but I'd say somewhere in the B range. And I think, uh, you know, rebounding the way we did this weekend, um, as an outsider, we probably didn't make hardly any noise on the results sheets or anything like that. But, you know, knowing how hard the guys worked, nobody got their heads down and just was very gritty. And all the way to the end there Sunday night, I think we'll, you know, pay dividends here as the year goes on. Uh, the, the this kind of idea of jumping back and forth between car types and especially jumping back and forth between car types in a single night. How difficult is that as a driver? And obviously you've done it very well at times, you know, we, we're talking about that Moa and, and war show. Um, but how difficult is that to go back and forth with a wing versus not a wing? I think it's, again, I think, you know, when I run a wing car first, I've just gone really, really fast around that racetrack. So then when you get in a non-wing car, um, not that there are any less, you know, there's not any less horsepower or anything to be had there, but you're just, you are going around the track slower uh, lap time wise. So I think that helps me kind of dissect what I'm doing as I'm making those circles. Um, but it is, you know, you have to, you kind of have to study it a little bit before you do it. I feel like, cause you have to understand, you know, the way starts and, and restarts go without a wing versus with the wing and, and less downforce, the way you make passes, the way that the racing is a lot closer, non-wing racing than wing racing. Um, you just kind of have to, I think in your own head, kind of tell yourself what you're doing as the green flag drops. So that way they don't kind of get crisscrossed a little bit. I want to jump back, you know, a little ways in your career here. And I, I know you are a micro guy coming up and, and then transition to sprint cars. Um, is it true that you at 15 literally went from a micro to a 410 sprint car? That is true. Yeah, actually, uh, I guess I ran a micro. Yeah, I was 15. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Cause I, as I was looking kind of at your bio and seeing it, it was like, it was like micro, 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 and then 410. And like, was that something that was just a massive transition? Obviously very different race car types, but how, how did that go? Well, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. The mini sprints now it's common, the Engler mechanical fuel injection. Um, we actually, I was like the first one to have that on my micro. So we did a lot of the R and D testing and Tim Engler is a former sprint car driver, tractor puller, everything like that. And I was just racing with my mom and dad at the time. And we actually blew several engines and micro racing was getting really expensive. And we were looking at guys that had been running micros and were racing sprint cars. And we're like, man, this just makes more sense really. And I told Tim that, and he actually had his last car he ever drove back in his horse barn behind the shop. And he said, here, you find you a motor, you know, I've got a car for you. So I ended up, you know, dressing that thing up. I found a couple four tens and the speed was tough to get used to at first, but really, I mean, everyone else out there is going the same speed as you too. So it wasn't too bad. Um, and I've been fortunate to run quite a few races every year. And just after a little while you get comfortable enough, it's kind of like riding a bike. What was your first 410 start? 
I think it was actually right here in Jacksonville. It didn't go very well. I remember I was kind of like on the outside of somebody and, and I took like a right rear to left front and broke a front axle. And I don't remember if we ran the feature that night or not, but uh, it wasn't anything spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember like, you know, maybe it was a test or, or an opportunity to get in a 410 for the first time. Was it like really kind of mind blowing to, to make that jump? Yeah. I, you know, I was kind of always a smaller kid. I'm not so, so much now. I was like a late bloomer, I guess I'd say. So I was 15. I actually went down to Kennedale Speedway Park and Smiley's Racing Products. They had like a driving school or whatever. And I made some laps down there. And granted, I was on the track by myself, but um, I was kind of nervous. You know, just a big car is twice as big as a, a wheelbase as a micro. It's just, you know, I don't know, four or five times the amount of horsepower. So it was nerve wracking, but I also never have been too nervous of a person. I just kind of tell myself to sack up and, and I've always just kind of gone out and done whatever needs to be done. So wasn't too bad. What was your first world of outlaw start? I believe it was the Ironman. And oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah. So Peebley's one of the, actually I made my first feature there and everything. So it's kind of just always been one of my favorite tracks. Is that like a situation where you, I mean, like, was that a planned start or were you, were you sitting around going, you know, we should tow to Peebley and, and see what we could do. You know, I can't take you through that thought process of time. I think we were racing a MOA race or something in the area, like Granite City, Illinois or something. They're like 30 minutes apart. And I believe Mike Hess even at the time was running some MOA races. And I think we all towed over there together. It just worked out with the schedule. We were half hour away and just kind of made sense for Saturday. I'm pretty sure. You are a guy that's run, you know, like I mentioned before, Sprint Invaders, MOA, uh, you know, 2019 MOA champion. Tell me about that series and, and why that was something that you ran a bunch of and have run a bunch of. Well, if you look at the schedule, uh, there's a lot of races in Jacksonville. And like I told you here, maybe before we open, but I live right here in Jacksonville. Um, so being very centrally located for a, a small team um, with a fairly short radius as far as where their schedule goes, um, it just made sense for me, especially when I was younger, um, to not have to travel as much and still get you know, 20, 25 races in a year. Um, I've got several local sponsors that have been on my side of my race car since I was nine years old too. So it's kind of nice to be able to race around here for those guys. Um, and obviously there's plenty of off weekends, excuse me. So we would go run the world of outlaw races, all-star races. What made sense? I mean, I'm not going to be sitting here on a Friday night with nothing to do and say, well, we got to race, you know, we need to go to Williams Grove. That just doesn't make financial sense. So I haven't been a huge traveler, but where it made sense where we could get two or three races in, that's just kind of what I've always done. Do you have a job outside of racing? I do. Yeah. I'm uh, I actually went to school to be an engineer for three years and then uh, coming up on about a year and a half now I've been, uh, I've opened a small business. I'm a powder coating and fabrication shop. And I also work a seasonal highway maintainer job for the state of Illinois. And I grew up on a farm. So I wear a lot of hats. Nice. Uh, that engineering background, I feel like there's a few guys kind of floating out there and, and Shane Golubic is one that comes to mind that has an engineering background. Do you think that helps you as a sprint car driver? You know, I don't really know. I, I think parts of it, maybe um, the number side of it, maybe uh, I can't really say, you know, I've most of the classwork I had was like on machining stuff, which I don't really machine anything myself, um, designing stuff. Um, I didn't really have any like shock expertise type classes or things I think would benefit a lot. But, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you had some pretty big numbers thrown around. And I feel like I, honestly, I just feel like we were building bridges and stuff. So not really. It's <laughs> for uh, are you running the outlaw show this week at Jacksonville? I'm assuming you are. Uh, well, unfortunately, my grandmother on my mother's side lost a fight with cancer last oh, no. week. 
So here this afternoon, I'm headed down to Houston for her funeral. Happens to be Thursday, so we'll be absent, unfortunately, here this week. Tell me about Jacksonville. I, Kenny is a, is a guy that I've had lots of conversations with, and you know we had him back on Open Red back in the day, and, and he's obviously sure. the, a guy that's done a lot there at Jacksonville. But but especially growing up and and or, or being around that racetrack as much as you have been, tell me about that racetrack. Well, it's really remarkable what Kenny and his entire team have done. Um, I can remember being a kid. Um, first or second grade going out here watching sprint car racing and not that the racing was any better or worse than it is right now, but the facility is, I think one of a kind here pretty well across the country and the improvements they have made to the facility. I mean, you can't really go to a, a fairgrounds racetrack and it not be a fairly one lane half mile racetrack. Granted, this is a bull ring with all kinds of action and everyone now knows that. Um, and now they've got like a fully air conditioned and heated bar, nice bathrooms, just things that you don't find at a fairgrounds. And you add that in with awesome racing. I don't think there's another place in the country that's comparable to that. What are we, like, if fans are going to tune in and, and watch that race this week, what, what can we expect in, in terms of racing? What's it going to take to be successful there? Uh, definitely staying out of trouble. I mean, it's a short track, so things can happen in front of you and not be your fault. And it's pretty hard to, to keep your nose clean. So I think it's probably a 40 lap race too. So it's a long time. Um, definitely historically, at least the last few years, the fastest way around has been just running your right, right on the fence. So as a driver, that can be tough to do repeatedly 40 times around too. Um, and you get into lap traffic in a hurry too. So Picking your spots, keeping your nose clean, obviously without all format, uh, you know, you got to qualify well too, just to, to start out front. So a number of things need to go your way and, and some of the things can be controlled and some of it can just be dumb luck. How does that track kind of sit in terms of like the, the, the local area there? Is that like kind of the place to be on the weekends? I think it pretty well is. Yeah. Um, I'm, there's nowhere around here. There's several Illinois fairgrounds racetracks, but I think Jacksonville's kind of set themselves apart the last few years with the improvements at the facility. Um, and the racing has just been phenomenal, phenomenal. And they put on several big shows with late models too. So, um, more or less their crowds are awesome. They got awesome fans locally. I know there's a lot of people that travel because they hear about the place and, and want to come in here and, and watch some racing. So, I think it's the happening place. I don't know if they've been allowed to sell out, but I'm sure they would otherwise without any restrictions. Um, and that's pretty well how it is all the time. Uh, I was looking at your schedule. What do you have coming up besides the USAC stuff? Are you going to run? Are you going to try to sprinkle in some wing stuff here at the, you know, the rest of the season? Are you running your own wing car? Or do you have another wing car that you're going to run? What does that look like? Yeah, so the KO Motorsports team has a couple of John Deere wing cars, and we ran those at Hopstot, I guess, a couple weeks ago. I don't really know when we'll be breaking those out again. Um, my full commitment this year is with those guys with USAC. Um, you know, it's something that they've put a lot of heart and money into, and I want to give them as much as I can back. Um, I do have my wing car sitting here ready to go, um, like this Thursday. Um, if circumstances were different, I would have been running it. And uh, any, you know, any breaks we have in the season, I'll uh, probably be driving my car a little bit. I've also run for Scott Boner up in Iowa in the 50, the Midland Performance 50 car. And I think we'd like to run a few 360 races too. So just, uh, you know, we got to have USAC. And then outside of that, I'm just kind of filling stuff in. I don't really have a, a set schedule. Is it possible that we could see you in the wing car and the non-wing car at Eldora? That's been talked about. I'm not sure. We haven't shaken it down or anything yet. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I had somebody just ask me that this morning, actually. So we'll see. I actually really do like Eldora. So um, I wouldn't rule that out anyways. You've had some good runs at Chili Bowl in the past, and, and I know that's something you talked about. You didn't run the Chili Bowl this season. Uh, is that something you'd want to do more of, and, and would you be open to running midget races? 
Yeah, and that's another thing that kind of this USAC decision-making for me, um, what kind of played into it, I guess. Um, you know, hopefully, I don't think people really took me very seriously, like showing up at the Chili Bowl, and I was fortunate to drive for the Loyettes, Joe Roos Evans, the Newmans, all great equipment, um, and we did well. But I think people easily forget about your run on Saturday in the C or B main when you're not really a headliner. So I think running a non-wing car on a national tour with a little bit bigger platform will hopefully help me. And that's something I want to do. You know, if you could run the USAC sprints, midgets, silver crown, even that's something I'd love to do. Um, but I think I just have to have myself out there more to be taken seriously or maybe considered for a ride rather than a, a wing guy from Illinois that runs some outlaw races. You know, that's kind of like my resume. So hopefully, hopefully this will open some doors for me as well. And, um, you know, I, I just missed Chili Bowl as a weird year this year. So really, really hoping to be back next year. I'm curious about like kind of your general exposure and, and, you know, being around winged racing as long as I have, obviously I, I know about you from that part of it, but you know, MOA and, and some of the series you've run are obviously not like well covered in terms of streaming yeah. and some of the other things. Yeah. Do you think it'll make a difference for you or has it made a difference for you being able to be in USAC shows, you know, running some big shows on flow racing? Uh, you know, do you see that helping you like, and, and personal brand is like a terrible way to look at it, but, but you're following at the very least. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people, even, you know, like you said, you'd heard of me from wing racing, but we go out to Indiana and Thomas Meserol was telling me people were asking him like who I was or something at Lawrenceburg, like thought I was a legit rookie that had never ran a sprint car and was out there racing pretty decent. And, um, I think that that is going to create either a larger following or just a no, no abouts of me, I guess. Um, and obviously the, the streaming, the dirt visions, the flow racing, um, forgetting some other ones, I'm sure it's just huge for everybody, for sponsors, for series, for racetracks, you know, it just brings a lot more eyes to the sport. And I think the USAC and all stars being on flow racing, there's a ton of people watching every night. So if you're up there in the mix, I mean, people are going to hear your name and hopefully remember you. Um, I, I talked about this. So I, I do a daily show. I, I do, you know, eight to 10 minutes, Monday through Friday, just talking about a bunch of different stuff. And, and, the thing that I kind of am going to start asking guys about, and actually you're the first guy that I'm going to ask about this, but the idea about championships and dirt racing, and, you know, we see guys and, and my, my kind of bigger point was about late models and watching some of these guys kind of fall off the national tours and just kind of chase checks and big trophies and things like that from where you sit, at least in, in sprint cars and in the open wheel world, do you think that championships matter? I mean, do they matter to you as a driver? Is that something you want? Or are you like, I just want to go, earn money and win as much as I can. And the if the championships happen, so be it. Um, do they matter? Yes. I think, especially as far as legacies go, that's what a lot of people measure up to is how many championships did so-and-so win in whatever series or multiple series. Do they matter to me? Not as much. Um, they're definitely probably the hardest thing to win. Um, I mean, you got to put a lot of nights together and a lot of variables um, go into, you know, a successful season and beating out the best drivers. I mean, if you're talking these national series, like we were talking about, there's nine or 10 teams that are absolutely capable of doing it. Um, I guess I'm kind of forgetting the last part of your question, or maybe that was it. But to me, they don't matter as much now. So, I mean, and that was just it. It was just like, do they matter? And, and is it more important to you to go out and, and win races and, and that part of it versus the actual kind of trying to chase the championships? And I know a lot of guys don't ever have even have the opportunity to go chase yeah. a championship, but it just seems like, you know, in, in, 
you know, the stick and ball world and, and, you know, in some of the places, you know, I, I'm, uh, have had my own NASCAR career. And, and so kind of existing in the NASCAR world, it's like the championships are just this kind of nonstop thing that gets talked about. And it just seems like on the dirt side, it's not as big of a deal. Um, and at least it, you know, it, it doesn't seem to get talked about as much. And so it's like, that was kind of the genesis of, of the yeah. thought, but, but, uh, yeah, just curious what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, no, I, I'd just say that, uh, you know, like guys like Kyle Larson, I mean, how many races did he win last year that are super hyped up and talked about that did not, you know, go into a championship at all. So I think, uh, I don't think they matter as much. I think the crown jewels and the fans, the hype of a big weekend, you know, you go win one of those big crown jewel, large check races. I mean, I think that probably sticks with fans more in my opinion. Do you think too, then like, is there almost like a hierarchy? Does it mean more? Like if you were to go out and win a world of outlaws championship, like, you know, is that something like if you had the opportunity, then all of a sudden it means more? I feel like we've watched Brad Sweet and Donnie Schatz obviously battle it out here the last couple of years. And it seems like it means a lot to Brad. Yeah, I think it does. And I think he's done an incredible job. Their whole race team has of becoming, uh, you know, Donnie has been nearly unstoppable for 10 years now. And now they're kind of the next unstoppable kind of dynasty I can see coming through and, I'm sure you could ask Donnie and those guys. I have no idea what it would take or what mentally and physically financially went into all those championships, but um, you know, it's, it's highly respected by me and I'm sure a ton of other people too. Um, I'll let you go here pretty quick. I'm curious when you kind of look at your career and, and what's next, where would you like to get to? I can't really answer that, Justin. I've had, I feel like most of my career has been a lot of, could have like very close finishes or mechanical failures that um, just some big races I had a chance to be in the hunt for. I never did. Um, and maybe that's part of the opportunities that never came about um, to this point, but you know, going forward, I just want to drive race cars. I don't care if they have a wing on it without a wing. I don't care if it's four cylinders or eight cylinders. Um, I would obviously love to continue to be able to do some type of national tour or, um, you know, run 40, 50 races a year. I'm actually married now and having a kid. So life's kind of uh, changing for me too, but I don't have any intentions to stop racing. Well, I certainly appreciate the time today. Uh, give me the plug zone. Where can we keep up with you? Who should we mention right now? Uh, give me give me all the, the rundown. Yeah, sure. I've got, uh, man, I would hate to forget anybody, but I've just got a huge uh, thanks to Dave Mason and Mason Sound for being with me. This one since I was nine years old, the Wessler brothers, uh, Matt Bradshaw, man, Tammy and Lanny Oranger. Um, these are just families that have become friends and sponsors of me. And then obviously Cam2 uh, Lubricants has been on my car, I think, since 2013 or 14 now. So we've had a pretty long, extensive relationship. And, uh, you know, just the, the whole KO Motorsports program with Roadworks, Fitzgerald Peterbilt on the side of my car, and all their pit crew, you know, the guys that have been in my shop, you know, not getting paid, just doing it for the love of the sport. I mean, um, you know, you obviously have to perform on the racetrack, but without all those people, it wouldn't be possible. Yeah, for sure. Well, Paul, thanks for the time today. All right, man. See you later. Paul will be back in action with KO in a couple of weeks when the USAC National Sprint Car Series heads to Eldora for the Let's Race 2 weekend with the World of Outlaws. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Paul underscore Neenheiser. That's N-I-E-N-H-I-S-E-R. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit DirtTracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.